So we're going to talk today about incarnating Christ, which essentially is becoming so much like Jesus that when people look at you, they can see Jesus in your life. They can say, what is there about you? There's something about your life that's kind of different from everybody else that I've looked at. When I, when, I, when I look at you, I see something different. There's something inside you that's different. It's kind of different for you. I look around here, everybody's doing this thing, but I look at you, you're not doing that stuff, and, the, and it seems that you have something that is completely different. And we say, yeah, we've got Jesus in us. Jesus makes the difference in our lives. It's his life in us that makes the difference. And so when we talk about incarnating Christ... We were talking about a spiritual power that we have because he lives inside of us. And when we talk about spiritual power, I'm not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about tongues and interpretation. I'm not talking about laying hands on people and having God touch them and heal their bodies. I'm not talking about miracles and faith and all of those sort of things that come through spiritual gifts. But I'm talking about the power of a changed life. The ability to live differently, the ability to be different, the ability to have a difference in your life that makes a difference in the world. That's not controlled by the world, that's not dictated by the world, that doesn't act like the world. I'm talking about a spiritual power inside of us that lives differently. If the, if the river's flying that way, we are the live salmon swimming up it. That's the sort of power I'm talking about. The power that Jesus gives me, the power that Jesus gives me by his Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit gives me the kind of fruit in my life that I need to be the kind of person I need to be. It's not about me being able to do the stuff that God wants me to do. It's me letting God do through me the stuff he wants me to do. There's a big difference about that. I mean, I can go out and try and try as hard as I can to try and live the right life so I can impress God. And in the end of the exercise, discover I can't do it. But if I recognize that God is living inside of me, it's a simple equation. It's just saying, look, what do you want me to do now? You don't want me to do that? Well, I'll obey you then. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say no to the thing that I want to do, and I'll say yes to the thing that I know that you want me to do because you're living inside of me. And when we do that, all this fruit becomes evident in our lives. So today I want to talk to you about the fruit of meekness. Meekness. Everybody say Meekness. Usually the opposite to meekness is anger. Everybody say anger. Okay, who knows what anger's about? Put your hand up now if you were angry this week. Uh, you know, well, let's have, let's, okay, anger. Annoyed. Anybody got annoyed? Handles of annoyment. Annoying. Everything is annoying for you. Yeah. Um, frustrate. Put your hand up if you're fr frustration. Just put your hand up for everything. There we go. You got it this week. It was coming on you. Okay. All right, let's talk about meekness. Now, this is the definition of meekness. Well, the, the dictionary has two, two definitions for this. Firstly, it says, uh, devoid of courage and strength, meek. And the second one is this definition. I mean, when you go to the Greek and you look at the Greek word and you say, what does this Greek word mean? You usually expect it to come up with a, a, a lengthy explanation telling you what it means. So when I look at the word meek or the word meekness in the, in the, in the Greek Hebrew or in the Greek word and in the Hebrew word to see if there's some correlation between the Old and the New Testament, it comes up with the same thing. It says, meek equals meek. Like, you ought to know what meek is. It's meek. 
And the first time I looked at this, I recognized how little I knew of the English language. You know, some words, we use them all the time. We kind of get an idea, oh, meek. But we really don't know what the, what the word means until we go to it. Di- and how many people here like using a dictionary? How many people here reckon they ought to use a dictionary? Listen, do yourself a favor, get a dictionary. I mean, the world might say, just watch the TV and don't worry about thinking. But I want to tell you something right now. You better start thinking because the world will tell you what to think if you don't think. It will tell you what to think. And you want to be able to set yourself aside and say, you know what, I don't think I want to think that. I think that if I think that, that's, a, that's the wrong way to go. I think that if I live that way, that's the wrong thing to do. I, I, I want to be able to think independently of the world. I don't want to be a, a mechanism that's driven by everybody else or the media. I want to be able to think clearly. I want to be able to think differently. And sometimes to think differently, you have to use a dictionary to understand and to get your head around ideas that maybe you haven't got before. So I got a dictionary and I got the word meekness. And it came up with this as the as a secondary meaning, enduring injury patiently without resentment. Okay, read it with me now and say it quite slowly so you can just get the feel of it. Enduring injury patiently without resentment. All right, Crystal, let's think that one through. It's a big long word that comes through meek. All right, it's enduring injury enduring that means it's hurting me injury that means I'm getting hurt and I'm I'm getting injured enduring it means I'm patiently getting injured patiently means I'm hanging in there while it's happening to me and without resentment I'm not feeling bad about it oh this week can you remember somebody doing the wrong thing by you that was really annoying Oh, so bad, so annoying, so unjust, such horrible, horrible life, so angry inside. Can you remember that? Can you remember feeling no resentment at all, thinking, this is good for me? Well, you can think, oh, this is okay. They can smack me around, they can talk bad about me, they can do naughty things to me, and that's okay. It's just really cool. I'm not annoyed. It's really good for me. How many people had that experience this week, were able to just stand and say, it's really good for me, this lovely thing that's happening. I'll tell you what, you know, we get angry for a number of reasons. Here's four reasons why we get angry. See if you can relate to these four reasons. These are four reasons that I get angry. You think you're not getting the love and approval you deserve. And if you don't get the love and approval you deserve... Well, you get angry, you know. I ought to be loved, you know. Everybody else has got a lover. Everybody else has got somebody loving. Everybody else is sort of hanging out and connected and saying, what is me? I'm just here and no one loves me anymore. Even my own mother doesn't love me. Oh, she does, but I'm just saying. I know you do, mama. This was just an illustration. Even my father has rejected me. I know you haven't rejected me there. Even my brothers and my sisters don't like me. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> It's good for me. <laughs> you know, we get all, we've all got that sense of rejection and we all feel it, when, especially when someone we think is significant to us or to, should, must love us. And when they don't, we feel it incredibly. 
Maybe a wife rejects us or a husband rejects us or, or somehow somebody at work says something or somebody at school laughs at you because your shoes are old or you're not wearing the, 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 the special ones that are fashionable. You know, there's something that's happening around that presses onto you and makes your life horrible. And, and, and you sit there and think, you know what? This is terrible and I'm angry now. And you seethe inside. You just get inside there and it starts to cook away inside. Everybody knows what that cooking feels like on the inside. It's that resentment that sets in there. It's that idea and you go over it and over it and over it. Well, meekness doesn't do that. Oh, look, meekness can feel the pain. It can feel the rejection. It can recognize that the person that you think you should have loved you should have loved you, but it says it's okay. Everybody say it's okay. It's okay to be out of favor with others you find significant. It's okay not to be loved. Say that. <laughs> You're not convinced, are you? <laughs> no. It takes a lot to convince you. You ought to say it to yourself a number of times. It's okay not to be loved. You know, it's okay not to be loved because Jesus says, woe to you if everybody speaks well of you. He says, you've got problems if everybody is talking nice about you. You know why you've got problems? Because they're not telling the truth. They're not being honest with you. They're obviously setting you up. They're doing something to mislead you because if everybody is speaking well about you, you're in the dark about something. You know the emperor that had no clothes on? Remember that old parable, that old fable? Look at the emperor, he's got no clothes on. No one told him he had no clothes on. They all spoke well of all those clothes you're wearing. They look lovely, they look fantastic. So he starts walking through the city streets saying, you like my new clothes? And a kid, a little boy says, hey, you, you, you're naked. Woe to you if everybody is speaking well. You've got to get an adjustment happening in your mind if meekness is going to work for you. You've got to adjust yourself and recognize, you know, I don't have to have everybody speaking well of me. This is the second reason I get angry sometimes. You think your performance is poor and you feel useless and stupid and worthless and ashamed. You got that one? You got that one happening on a big time basis? You know, everything you try to do, you can tell me. Everything you put your hand to, you stuff up somewhere along the way, it's stuffed up. You're not like your friends, you're able to do it every time. When it comes to bowling, you're the one who was a gut of the ball, you know, you're, and you put your head down, you think you try really hard, you go and practice and practice and practice, but when it comes time for your turn, you've got her in a second time, and it's like, <gasps> you're so stupid. And everybody knows the word meek and knows what it means, but you didn't even know there was a word meek. You know, we do that to ourselves. And, and part of our society has actually set us up for that because it says that you've got to be adequate, competent, and achieving to be a person of worth. I mean, worthwhile people achieve things. Worthwhile people win bachelorette. <laughs> worthwhile people win cooking shows and music shows. Worthwhile people are... They got money. Worthwhile people are famous. Worthwhile. And me, well, I'm not. I don't. I, I'm just stupid. I'm just stupid. So I must be worth less. You know what? You ought to chill out. Because in Jesus, your worth not, is not premised upon your performance. You know, it's what Jesus did, not what you do. It's what Jesus did that makes a difference. 
And the amount of money in Jesus' economy makes no difference. You can have all the money in the world and lose your own soul. It doesn't really matter. You see, in God's economy, you're not justified or made right with God because you can perform certain things. I used to have a mate and he'd say, well, I can't come to church and I can't get right to God because I am not good enough yet. You know, like, you know, you come to church, you know, all the people here, obviously you've been working hard at being good. You've been good most of your life. Some of you have never been bad. You know, you're born a Christian and you come to church because you're so good. Hey, welcome to the real world. We're all busted in here. I mean, that's our commonality. There's this one thing common about all of us. It's not our nation because we come from different nations. It's not our gender because we're all different genders. You know what it is that's common about us? We're all stuffed. (laughs) We're all broken. We're all sinners. It's, It's the hospital. We're all hurt and wounded. We've been smashed and broken. And I know that Jesus has fixed us up, but he didn't fix it up because you got fixed up before you came here. He fixed it up as you cooperate with him. He fixed it up in his heavenly realm. And then he says, come on, let's say work. Let's fix it up now with you in the real world here. And that's the beautiful thing about it. You're accepted upstairs before you're able to even walk the walk or talk the talk. The Bible says that while you were a bad and wicked and iniquitous person, when you were so bad, he said, that's when Jesus looked and said, you need some help. I'm going to think I'm going to die for you. That's when he showed his love to us. Isn't that amazing? Just stop and think about that. That's incredible love. There is somebody who loves you, you know. There is somebody who loves you when everybody else hates you. It's God. I mean, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 he says he told them watch out for and be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of one's possession and oftentimes we associate performance with wealth you know got it you obviously perform well and if you perform well you got it it's like that you know if you don't have it let me see something wrong your performance is lacking somewhere so we think that wealth and status somehow show this sense of worth. It's not right. If wealth and status showed the sense of worth, then we'd take granny out and kill her. You know why? Well, she might have wealth. We better not do that, hey? Or we want her wealth. (laughs) If she can't perform, she's not good for anything. And we know that grandmas are good for something. Hitler had that mentality. Hitler looked around and he thought, if you weren't of the Aryan breed, which meant you had to be blue-eyed, blonde hair, very strong-looking like me. (laughs) There's one fan. (laughs) He said, you weren't worth living. So if you were a special needs person, you were born with a deformity, if you were uh, somehow mentally challenged, guess what they did? line you up with all the Jews and drop you into a gas chamber. Why? Because you weren't worth living. That's the mentality behind some of this nonsense that you hold as a valid thought. You mean, you hold this thing. I'm I'm, I'm useless and I'm poor and I'm horrible and and I'm I'm stupid. And you get angry at it because you feel it. And, you know, my son used to say, don't call me stupid. I said, I didn't call you stupid. I said, you did a silly thing. He said, get angry because he thought I was saying, no, I said, that's a silly thing. You're not silly. You, You did a silly thing. 
I'd have to define it because don't you call me silly or stupid. I learned that very early on in the piece. He is he's not a silly boy. Think, friends. We hold this idea of performance up as being the way it is. And that idea of performance ends up in something like Hitler's concentration camp. It's not a good way of thinking, hey? I thought a better way of thinking is, you know, it says, I might have failed or performed poorly, but I am not a failure. I'm God's child. That's a better way of saying Everybody say that with me. I might have failed or performed poorly, but I am not a failure. Oh, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. You didn't say it like you meant it. Let's say it again. I might have failed this week and performed poorly this week, but I am not a failure. I am God's child. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And the proverb says, though the righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. It means he gets up again. You might fall over, you might have failed, but you don't stay where you have fallen. You get back up again and you say, well, it's time to get moving again. It's time to get on again. Let's go about it. I've still got life in me. I'm still going to live. Amen? Yeah, God loves me and makes me complete. It's not my, me, me making me complete. It's God who's made me complete. When you look at me and say, you got it all, I'll tell you why I got it all. It's not because I did anything about that. God gave it to me. That's why I got it. And he is no, uh, shows no partiality. If he wants Heike to have what I got, he gives it to Heike as well. All the strength that we need to live in today's society and to do what is given freely by the Spirit of God. And he gives us our completeness. That's what he does. He gives it to us. It's a gift. You know, whether you want to receive it or not is the question. Oh, I don't want any of this God stuff. Fine. But what are you missing out on? What are you missing out on? Let's have a look at the third thing that makes me, and I've got lots of things to say, and I'm only getting to the third thing now. It's wrong. There's no justice in the world. You've been hurt, and someone has to pay for it. I, I, I get that all the time, you know. Of course, everybody loves the pastor, don't they? Yeah, you know, what I, you know what I've learned? This is what I've learned in life. If you want a really good friend, a really good friend would probably be a non-Christian person. <laughs> oh, that's not what you thought you were going to say, eh? Well, because good friends, non-Christian friends, usually stay a little bit of distance from you. So you can keep cool, you know. But Christian friends, stand up. Christian friends, hey, how are you going, brother? I love you. And then when you turn around, <laughs> stab you in the back. That's what sometimes Christian friends do. And you know what? I, that usually causes great pain and great disillusionment. Not every Christian is like that. And, and we get very cautious and say, oh, we don't want to have a Christian friend. Listen, I want to talk to you. Get, don't get cautious about your friendship. Get tough about your ability to handle that. Recognize that everybody is going to be flawed. And in the world, it's the same. In fact, it's worse in the world, even though it may, I might have felt that the unsaved person is a better friend than the Christian. But it's because I don't let the unsaved person get near to me. It's just I let the Christian person get next to me and they put the knife in and then they turn it around a couple of times and it hurts like blazes. 
And there's an injustice when that happens. I get, oh, that's wrong. Somebody ought to pay for that. That's so wrong. Here I am trying to do you good and you do me wrong. It would be okay. It would be okay if it was my, my enemy that was doing me harm, but it's someone who's close to me that's doing harm. But meekness, meekness, meekness does not get upset about it. Meekness learns to relax about it and say, that poor person has got problems. The problem really isn't mine because Jesus makes me complete. Jesus is all I need. If they can't be honest and faithful and true to me, that's their problem and not my problem. And I'm going to just sail on now. I'm just going to get on now. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to endure injury Patiently, without resentment. <laughs> You're not living this, are you? Oh, dear. We don't live this. Because this is hard. This is difficult. When we get hurt by somebody, we usually jump to judgment. We usually say, you know what? This person, this person, well, I want to tell you about this person. And we jump to judgment. And Jesus says, don't judge. Don't just let you be judged. He says, you know, look at the speck in your own eye before you start... Sorry, look at the, pe- the, the plank in your own eye before you start looking at the speck in somebody else's eye. That is really difficult for us to do. Why? Because we think somehow it ought to be different for us. But I want to tell you something. Everybody should relax here. When you're dealing with people, even though they're Christian people or non-Christian people, They're going to always hurt you. There's no way around that. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, you're going to hurt me one day. Uh, (laughs) Ah, dear. You know what? You're not convincing. Turn to the other neighbor on the other side. You know what? You're going to hurt me one day. Okay, and when you do hurt me, I'm going to love and forgive you. When you do hurt me, I'm going to love and forgive you. When you do hurt me, I'm going to look at you and say, I love Jesus and I still love you. Even though you hurt me, I love you. I don't need to see your blood. (laughs) I don't know whether you're really doing this yet, but meekness is not a weakness. Meekness is an incredible strength. It's unfair and frustrating. This is the fourth thing. It's unfair and frustrating, seriously annoying when things are not the way I'd want them to be. Everybody say that with me. It's unfair, frustrating, and seriously annoying when things are not the way I want them to be. (laughs) Yep. This is about every day for me. When you get up in the morning... Every day, when things are not the way you'd want them to be, you have a choice to make. You can get seriously frustrated, you can get annoyed, or you can get meek. You have a choice to make. You know, welcome to life and community. Things are not going to be perfect. We would like this to be a perfect house and a perfect church. But for it to be a perfect house and a perfect church, the imperfect would have to go away. Well, that's all of us. There would be nobody left, and that would be a perfect church. And a perfect house, if there was nobody left here. Except that Jesus designs that we should have hard times in life. And that sometimes those hard times come through people in our lives. 
And most times those people do things that really hurt us and, and cause great pain. And it's unfair. And we know it's unfair. We're frustrated by it. And we get upset and we cut judging and we, we think it shouldn't be this way. Sometimes God's plan for us is that it is necessary that you live in right there. And for all the teenagers who hate being at home with their mum and dad, let me tell you something, that tension and stress that you're getting with your mum and dad, it's all designed by God to work something beautiful in your character. And all the adolescents said, that's a deep voice, that wasn't an adolescent, that was an adult. <laughs> well then some of us must be adolescent on the inside even though we're, we're sporting some and we ought to grow up. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Life in community is never fair. You can hear it with two-year-olds. Daisy puts her hands up like this and clenches her hand like that because she knows that means give it to me. Give it to me now. And Miller says, no, mine, mine, mine. And she goes like that and then it's unfair. How can one have and the other not have? Nathan takes a photograph of little Johnny on a surfboard and, and, and puts it on a, on a wave on Instagram so Johnny looks, looks like he's surfing on a wave. Well, that's unfair. Well, what you do to one, you have to do to the other. Otherwise, Max is sitting there saying, it's not fair, it's not fair. Well, sometimes life is like that. Sometimes there's only one to go around and you can't share it. Someone's got to miss out and someone's got to get it. Sometimes you miss out and it's not fair. But that's okay. Say, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I ought to be quiet and just move on with life and not worry about that. It's easier to play the victim, isn't it? It's so much easier to say, (laughs) ring Pastor Mark up, oh, Pastor Mark, (laughs) it's unfair. Oh, come here, I love you. And if I, if I don't do the right thing, I'm, I'm wrong then, eh? Hey, listen. I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. Jesus is perfect. Jesus and me will make me perfect. Jesus and you will make you perfect. I am not a victim. Sometimes I'm the perpetrator. Sometimes I'm the victim. But you know what? I want to change and I want to grow up. I want my life to be different. And so sometimes it's important for me to live in life which is unpleasant, to live in situations that are unfair and to stay in those situations that seem to be unfair, to be forgotten, to be not loved, to not perform well. Sometimes it's very important that I experience all the horribleness of life because with the comfort that I am comforted in God, I then can comfort somebody else. Sometimes I can't get that any other way but by traveling through the ditch. And some of you say, I don't want to travel through the ditch. Some of you say, I'm in the ditch and I want to get out of it. I want to tell you something. If you're in the ditch, you can learn so much from the ditch that you can help everybody else who's in the ditch. And you can get out of it. There is nothing in your life that is cutting or hurting you that can't be made to shine. God, you know, you can, get, you can go and you can pick up a stone and say, well, that's an amazing stone. They say, yeah, well, it should be amazing. It looks like a rough rock to me, like a piece of agate. So that's because your eyes are trained. And the skilled 
craftsman goes away and he makes this beautiful diamond. He makes this beautiful diamond and sets it on a ring and it's dazzling and the light's shining through it and buzzing everywhere. And they say, whoa, that's the stone that you picked up that was a rough agate. But what made it shine? What made it reflect? The arduous task of chipping, 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 polishing, chipping, polishing. I want to shine. Do you want to shine? Welcome to the real world. You don't get to shine without the chipping and the chipping and the polishing and the polishing. And if you're in the middle of being chipped and polished, I want to turn to the neighbor beside you and say, I'm on the road to recovery. And I am going to shine. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 actually tells us about this whole mentality. He says, consider it pure joy when you encounter or face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He tells us, don't get hooked up. So here's a reality check. We cannot control the circumstances of our lives, but we can control our reactions to them. Okay, I can't control what is going to happen to me. At the moment, I'm here. But when I leave here, God knows what is going to happen, but I don't know what is going I cannot control the future, but I can control me in the future. I can control me by God's help in the future. Amen? Do what you're told. <laughs> Do what you're told. Oh, yeah, that's not nice. But listen, if you wanted to go and work in some position that had a lot of authority, the first thing they would do to you in a workplace is to make you live under authority. And you'd have to do what you were told. So when they say come and, and, and you open up at this time, you would have to come and open up at that time. When they say, you know, this is how we want you to dress, you'd have to say, well, that doesn't suit my eyes. You, uh, forget it. They've already, they're telling you what to do. You have to do what they ask you to do. Why? Well, if you want to have authority in a job that comes to you, you have to live under authority. So just do what you're told. You know, the great way to do that is start at home. When mum says to you, it's time to do the dishes, don't sit there and say, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to do the dishes. Somebody else can do the dishes. You've got to stop and say, wait a minute. If I want to have authority in life, I've got to learn to be able to live under authority so I ought to do what I'm told. You know what? People don't like being told what to do. And that's one of the gravest things that they miss out on life. You know, if you can just be meek and just do what you're told, life would be a whole lot easier. It's because you get angry and say, why should they tell me what to do? Why shouldn't I? You know, and it's because you get all upset and you get all clouded in your head that your life becomes a misery and everything falls apart for you because you are not meek. The meek inherit the earth. That's what it says. Yeah, I'm not going to be told to do anything. Yeah, well, you're not going to have a job, are you? You're going to be unemployable because nobody is going to employ you if you cannot do what you are told. Shut up, do what you're told to do. I can tell you, turn to your neighbor. <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say to them, learn. So I'm serious, say to your neighbor, learn obedience. Seriously, if you want to get on in life, learn obedience. 
I mean, if you're not going to be obedient to somebody who's telling you to do wrong, be obedient to somebody who's telling you to do right. Amen? Amen. I mean, if you can rebel, rebel in the right direction. Teenagers, if you think it's time to rebel against something, rebel against the devil. Rebel against what he wants to do. Rebel against drugs. Rebel against all of that. And start to go towards God. If you're going to have to rebel, rebel in the right direction. You got that? Don't give me. Learn submission. Submission is what makes God function so well. You think about this. God the Father submitted salvation to the Son. He submitted. To the, the Son says, I don't do anything of my own initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do. The Holy Spirit says, oh, it's not about me. Oh, I come to tell you and to remind you of the things that Jesus said. Everybody in the Godhead is submissive to the other one. That's why it works so well. Get, get, get a reality check here now. If you're not walking in submission, you don't look anything like God. If you're not walking in submission, you don't look anything like God. Because God is all about submission. Submitting one to another. Submit one to another. It says, husbands, submit to your wives. Hey, where does it say that? The verse before it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It said, submit one to another in the Lord. Which is, husbands, submit to your wives and wives. And then it says, husbands, love your wives. And it talks about the abandoning submission of the husband to the, to the wife and to her needs to purify her. Just like Christ submitted himself for us and died for us. Oh, well, that's a different wrinkle, isn't it? You didn't think long enough about it. When you started to rebel, you don't see what you're looking like. You don't look like Jesus doing that. It's not meek. It's okay. I don't have to get my own way. Everybody say that with me now. It's okay. I don't have to get my own way. Oh, Danielle. Danielle, look at me, darling. Say, it's okay. I don't have to get my own way. You mean Ruth has to get her way? Ruth. Look at me, Ruth. Say, it's okay. I don't have to get my own way. Oh, yes, that's so good. Now, Mum, can you remind them that they said that on this week? Every time there's a World War Three breaks out in your house, just get them to say to us, you know what, it's okay, I don't have to get my own way. And then, Mum, you tell them what to do and they'll do it. Because the road is submission, Amen. Oh, if it was that easy to be meek. If that was easy to be meek. It's good for me to let other people have their own way. Say it to yourself. It's good for me to let other people have their own way. Is that right, Claudia? Is it good for you that other people have their own way and you don't have the center of the... Is it good for you? Yeah, it is good for you. Sometimes it's God's word to bring me, God's will to bring me through something horrible for other people's sake. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it is right, but you don't like to know about that one. I mean, when you get saved, you, you want Jesus to fix it up and be Father Christmas in the tree to make it all right for you. And he's going to come to church on Sunday and he makes you, hey, Father Christmas, would you give me all the blessings? He says, I got the blessings. Yeah, I got Father Christmas giving me the blessings, you know. And then he says, now I want you to give them all away to somebody else. Well, that wasn't the, I gave them to you to give away to somebody else. Well, I thought it was for me. No, no, nothing's for you. It's always for somebody else. 
Nothing is for you. It's always for someone else. Wait a minute. Turn to your neighbor, look them square in the eye and says, it's not about you. And it is never about you. It is never about you. Jesus may love you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But when he raises you to your feet, you know that you can go out onto the street and do something for God. He only saved you for some reason. He looked behind you and he saw behind you there was another dozens of other people who could be touched by your... By, you know what, Nick? If you get this, if you get this, there's millions of people standing behind you that can be turned around. If you get this, if you understand this, if, it, if you let it get into you, you can change the world, Nick. Oh, it's not about you, Nick. It's about what God can do in you and through you. That's what it's about. Bless him, Jesus. Yes, and bless us when he gets blessed. And bless yourself, Jesus. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, meekness is not a weakness. Why? To prove it, try being meek for a week. <laughs> All right, okay, this is going to be hard for you, isn't it? Okay, here's scale 1 to 10. Meekness asks these questions. Where is it, the issue, in a scale 1 to 10? Okay, you say, oh, well, it's a 9. <laughs> All right, let me tell you what a 9... Well, uh, let me tell you what a 10 is. And then once you've told you a 10, you can gauge back from there. So here's a 10. You leave church today, you can say, you know what? Mark said the shut up word in church, in public. I can't follow anything like that because he's just so crude with his mouth. So you get upset. And in fact, you know, if what he's saying is true, it's completely made my life misery and I don't want to have anything more to do with it. So I'm just going to go and do my own thing because I've got to look after me. This is number 10. You've walked away from God. You've walked away from church. You said the most important person in life is you. And just as you step out onto a bus road, a bus comes along and bang, it hits you. You're splattered into a thousand pieces and you drop headlong into hell for eternity. That's number 10. All right. What's a nine? <laughs> okay, you, uh, you got hit by the bus, but you didn't deny your faith. Well, that's a nine. Well, you got killed, you know. We could make it worse. We could slowly torture you to death for your faith. That would be a nine. And what's an eight? Watching your kids get tortured to death? Well, that would be an eight. Well, what's a seven? Watching Mark get tortured to death. <laughs> you know, where really is it? The thing that you're really bugged about the thing that's really annoying you what is it is it maybe what you know maybe a five or a four or a three maybe it's not even a one yet but you think it's a one maybe when somebody sits down and talks to you and you start listening to what you're saying you're saying you know what i'm being really silly this is not even a one and i'm getting upset about it you know the devil plays that game with you and he gets you upset about the most silly things you know i get, can't, can't talk to my wife anymore she just doesn't understand that the toilet paper has to go over not under I can't live with her anymore. We'll have to get a divorce. Why? She won't let me step out of the shower onto the, onto the shower mat. 
She says, take the shower mat away so it doesn't get wet. Come on now. Come on, we have a blue, you know, let's have a little, you know, you didn't cook the steak long enough, it's still bleeding. Do you know how I like it? It's about me. Seriously, come on. Wake up to yourself. Have a reality check. How bad is it really? Mum's not buying chocolate anymore for you. Really, come on. It's not that bad. It's not a number 10. Look down the road. How important will what's happening be in six months' time? If you don't like what's happening, how important will it be in six months' time? Okay, you didn't get the thing you were looking for, but in six months' time, does it really matter? You lost your wallet. In six months' time, will it really matter? You got ditched by a boyfriend. In six months' time, because you're so good-looking, will it really matter? Ask yourself the question, does it really count for much? You see, meekness has this ability to look at something and see things in perspective, God's perspective. Does losing your attitude, your control, help? Now you think about the tension that's produced when you lose it at work because things are not the way you'd very much like them to be. Think about how it is when you look at somebody in church, when you had a conflict with somebody in church. Think about how that... I'm going to tell them exactly what I think. And some people just think that it's their prerogative to stand here or to, sta- to, to stand up and say to you, well, I know what you think, but I'm going to tell you what I think. Ask yourself the question, does it really help? If I'm going to react that way in the end of the exit, will it make any difference? Well... It might make differences. It might make you a very lonely person later on. Because you can't get meek with people and get along with people and learn to be smooth with people and to swallow it up and to to recognize that God can give you strength even though it's not nice. He can give you strength. You know what? And you start reacting around people and punching people and saying things verbally to people that you, you know, let them have it. You know what? You might discover you're a lonely person later on in life. You know why? Because you haven't understood that meekness gives you the ability to inherit the earth. That your arrogance and your need to say something may isolate you and you may lose lots and lots. So are you ready to grow? How can I influence your life and then help you improve the situation? What can I learn from the things that are around that I don't like? How can I act differently? Are you ready to learn? Because if you're not ready to learn... You won't learn. Listen to what Jesus, Isaiah said, Jesus said. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the proud and the arrogant and those who are full of themselves. No. No, no, no. The gospel doesn't work for you if you think you know it all. The gospel doesn't work for you if you have not smashed and broken. The gospel doesn't work for you if you think you can tell God a few things. So if you come to church today and you thought, I'm going to tell God what I think about him because this is what I think, you know, I think it's all, you know. The the gospel's not going to work for you because the gospel's not preached to you, it's preached to the meek. Those who 
I've been through some bad stuff and have been learning through the bad stuff. And because they're so broken up, they're willing to learn some stuff. I went through some bad stuff in the early part of my life and I got so bad and broken up and I got to the end of that little exercise in my life and I thought, boy, I'm so smashed up and and broken here and I just want someone to teach me how to live. Usually when you get broken up, usually people stay away from you. You know, they say, well, you know, out there, you know, you've been bad and you're broken up, so you can go over there now and we just watch you from a distance because you're not part of the the good crew. You're part of the broken crew. But you know what is great about being part of the broken crew? Jesus loves the broken crew. He doesn't spend time with the ones who are healthy and well. He says, I come for the ones who are sick. I think I want to stay with the sick bods. I don't know where you want to live. You, don't, you might think you've got it all together, but I want to be perpetually sick because if I'm perpetually sick, then Jesus is continuously healing me. You like that one? I think I want to be there. I want to be under his arm. I want to be under his care. I want to be under his look. I want to be under his gaze. I want to learn. I want to be meek because when I'm meek, then the gospel can be preached to me. The good news can be preached. I can learn something when I'm meek. I'm ready to learn. I am re- Say, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn from Jesus. Yeah, well, this is what the teacher says. This is Jesus, the teacher. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden. That's an invitation. He's saying, look, you're feeling smashed. You're feeling broken. You're feeling like you you haven't got it all together. You're feeling like you're failing in every way. You're feeling like you're angry and frustrated and all those things are crowding onto your life that that he says, well, you come to me now because you you obviously haven't got the, the answer to life. Come to me now. You are struggling with life. You are laboring under those heavy things. Come to me, he says and I will give you rest. And then he says these words, take my yoke upon you, and the yoke is the teaching of Jesus. That's what the yoke is. Take the yoke upon you. It's the teaching of Jesus. Take the teaching of Jesus. And he says, and learn from me. This is what he says, and I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. So when you come to Jesus and you're ready to learn, he says, learn from me, like me, be like me. I'm meek, you be meek. So they punched him in the face and they ripped out his beard and they put a crown of thorns on him and they hit it with a stick. Did you hear him say, you rotten, I'm going to get you when you're going to go to, I'm going to fry you in hell later on. Did you hear that coming out of Jesus, man? Though he was taken like a lamb to the slaughter, yet he did not utter one thing out of his mouth. In fact, this is what he said to them, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He says, come to me, I'm meek. Well, you know, you can only ever train somebody as much as you've been trained yourself. You can only ever teach somebody the things that you know yourself. You can't teach me anything if you don't know what you're talking about. You can't train my life or mentor my life in any direction, in any way, if you have not got got that in yourself. You can talk to me, you can give me a book to read, but... I want to look at your life and if you can't do the thing that you're telling me to do or you haven't done it before, I'm not going to have a lot of confidence. Jesus says, I walked this. I walked this one. You take my yoke on me and learn from me. Danielle, he says, learn from me. He says, give away your life and let me live mine in you. I'm meek. So every time you're meek, Danielle, Jesus is shining out at you. You're learning from him. 
and you will find rest for your soul. You know, James says it this way. And I like the King James because I like the words. They're old words. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. We know what that is. He says, and the superfluity, which means a whole lot more of naughtiness. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you've been naughty lately? Uh-huh. We're not even going to go there, I heard you say. <laughs> and we've been naughty. Christelle says, we're not even going to go there. Yeah, we've been naughty. We've been naughty big time. You've been naughty, Renee? You better not be naughty. Listen, it says, he says, this is the start. He says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness. What's that? I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn. Okay, I'm going to receive with you. You can tell me and I will do what you say. I will obey. You speak to me and I'll say, okay, I'm hearing you and I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to submit. I'm going to submit to you, Jesus. That's meekness. So you say, okay, he says, you know, you ought to do this. And you say, well, I don't think I want to do that. He says, it's not about what you want. It's not important what you want. It's important that you get the meekness thing. And you say, well, it's not about me. It's about obeying. It's about submitting. I've got to learn to submit. I've got to learn to submit to my mother. I've got to learn to submit to my father. I've got to learn to submit to the work colleagues. I've got to learn to submit. Okay. It's about being submitted. Okay, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn. He says, receive the word with meekness. So when you read the Bible and it says, stop mucking around, no sex before marriage, and it says, this is not going to work, don't sit there and say, well, that's unfair. Everybody else is allowed to jump around, and why can't I? Let's stop. It's not about what they're doing. It's about you and meekness. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Well, you know why you know it's engrafted, Phil? Because it's not there anyway. You're looking for it and it's not there. He says, well, I want some good fruit to come out of that. He says, well, what's there? To, well, there's not much there to grow good fruit out. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll put a good branch in there. So he puts the good branch in and he says, now, oh, you can get some good fruit now because it's engrafted into you. You've got nothing good in you that is worth anything. Don't sit there and think that you're not a good person. I think I can do it. You know, I, there's nothing good in you. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Everything inside you is bad, 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 bad. Every, somebody, I'm really bad inside. Say it. That's the truth of it. From the heart, all the corruption that comes out, the bad stuff, the evil stuff. Oh, it's rotten, the things that you think. If I knew what you thought. Oh, I'm glad there's no screen that shows my thoughts on the... Oh, I didn't know you were thinking that. Oh, dear, what terrible thoughts you think. Yeah, we all think those things. That's because the corruption is inside of us. That's why we need to receive with meekness the engrafted word because it's the engrafted word that changes us, James. There's nothing. You're a good lad, aren't you? You can be deceived to think that. And everybody can look at you and say, you've done nothing wrong that I can see. Why, butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, boy. But I want to tell you something. Claudia can tell me. There's another side to you. Mum knows about it and Jesus knows about it. But you know what? We need some engrafting. So he takes the word of God. James does. He takes the word of God and he reads it through the Word Wise program. And he thinks about it and thinks, you know, God wants us to do this. What's he doing? He's taking the word of God and he's engrafting it in. And then when he says, you know, God is looking for this in my life, he's saying, I'm going to submit to the word. I'm going to do what the word says. And then his goodness starts to shine. 
Because it's not him, it's Jesus in him. It's not about you, it's about Jesus in you. It's about living the life of Jesus. That's what it's about. And that's my last slide, so that must be over. And you are having such a good time, hey? This is not easy. A frog said it wasn't easy to be green. It's not easy to be a Christian. And it's not easy to be meek. What happens is there has to be a dying take place. You can't have two lives inside of you. One life that wants to do what you want to do, that says you'll determine what's right and wrong, that you'll determine what is just and unjust, that you'll have the right to say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do so you can get even with those who have been bad, wicked and villainous to you. You can't have that life inside of you and the life of Jesus that says, don't worry, it's okay, I'll look after it in the end. You've got to choose which life you want. You can't have two. You'll be schizophrenic if you try and live. Some of you are spiritual schizophrenics, really. You're walking around with two voices talking to you. Never get, just get, make a decision which one you're going to follow. Some of you look like you're confused. You're here today and you speak nice. You smile nice. But you go away during the week and you live like the devil. You talk like the devil and you act like the devil. Listen, make a choice. Who will you serve? If God is God and he's worthy of it, serve him. If the devil is the devil and you want to go along with him, we'll serve him. But do not stand in the valley of indecision. Do not stand in a place that says, well, I'll try and be good. You can't be good trying. You have to be good because he's engrafted it into you and you have to submit to him. Where are you living today? Where is your life? Bow your heads. Jesus, we come and to you and we say, we need you so bad. Oh, we need you so bad. In fact, we can't even do this without you, Jesus. There is no way that we can survive one minute of every day of the stuff that we have to go through if we were left to our own thoughts and our own judgment. There is absolutely no way we can make the right choices, Father, to deal with the situations around us in the right way if we are left to our own thoughts. Jesus, we need you to put your thoughts inside of us. Your word says, how can a young man keep his way clean? By keeping it according to the word. Lord, your word says, how can I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you? Lord, I pray, oh God, that your word would take up its residence. Jesus, that you take up your residence within us, that your Holy Spirit would live fully within us, that we'd be yielded and submitted to your Holy Spirit, that we would exude from our life the character of Jesus and everything that we do, that meekness would flow like a river, that our judgments about what is right and wrong will be given to you, Lord Jesus, and we'd say, let God sort that one out. Lord, I ask that you touch the people here, Father. Give them strength for the day. They can't do it without you. Help them to choose right, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you haven't ever stepped across the line to say, Jesus, take control of my life, if you feel that that's all strange to you and you want to do that, you come and talk to me.
Come and talk to me now. And I'll tell you and teach you how to get Jesus on the inside and how Jesus can make a difference for you, okay? So if you think that you need some changes taking place in your life, you need to have a bit of God coming out of you, and you need to make those changes, you come and talk to me. And I'll sit up here just quietly. Don't come and talk to me unless you are wanting to talk to me about that. I'll sit up here. You come and talk to me, and I'll pray with you. So everybody else, you can have a cup of coffee and have some great time. God bless you.